Hello and welcome to another episode of Jackson Talks. Everybody with me, your host, Jackson Stone. And this is episode 97 of Jackson Talks, everybody. Wow, we are inching closer to episode 100, which will be a special episode. It'll probably be just me sitting on my couch talking about how much Jackson Talks, everybody, has grown and how grateful I am for people that listen every single Tuesday when we drop a new episode. But before we get to episode 100, we're at episode 97. And I have a very special guest, a friend of mine, and someone actually who had a uh, played a part in the name Jackson Stone. Everybody, we'll probably get to that story uh, right off the bat. But I'm uh, joined today by Seth Daughters. He's also a uh, South Dakota State alumni, but he also has a master's degree in uh, in science, nutrition, and food science from South Dakota State. He also played football at South Dakota State University, and now he is a uh, a teacher. He teaches uh, undergraduate and graduate exercise science programs. Um, does a little bit of strength and conditioning on the outside, but that's where his background is, playing in football, working in strength and conditioning, and now teaching undergraduate and graduate degrees, or students, excuse me. But Seth, welcome to the show, man. Happy to see you. Thank you. Well, you said I was a special guest, so I was, I was should I have waited to come on until the 100th episode, or I, now I kind of feel slighted? <laughs> no, you were very special. You're the most. Okay. I mean, I think I think you're the most special guest so far because you just told me that you wanted to be on the show, and then that was it. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Um, perfect, perfect. Okay. Well, then I'll make the exception. Yeah. So okay. Before I get to my first question, um, let's just let everyone know how you came up with the name Jackson Stone. Everybody. I mean, you originated it. I don't know if I was like the sole originator, but <laughs> where if my recalling is. We had both been done, you know, playing sports because we played sports around the same time. Then I was a grad assistant. You were in your final season. Um, and then when I was a grad assistant, then you interned. So, like, we kind of had that athlete relationship, which I was thinking about that before, too. Like, we never hung out as athletes. Isn't that weird? But then I got well, thinking, like, for some reason at the time, it's different now. But some reason at the time, football and baseball n never hung out. Yeah, dude. Never. We had a very – football and baseball had a very strange relationship. When I played there, like when I got to school at South Dakota State as a freshman, there was already like this thing between football and baseball. So I was like, okay, I have to fit in with my baseball guys. So I just have to like automatically not like the football guys, even though like by my senior year, like I was friends with a lot of the guys. I thought most of them were very cool. Um, yeah, I never understood then, that. And then me and you got along like swimmingly. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was very strange. But anyways, keep going. Yeah, so we've been done for like two, three, four years or whatever, and you're getting your start in professional wrestling. And I think we were back for Hobo Day, I believe. And uh, we're texting back and forth, hey, where are you at? Like, we're back in tailgate, you know, hey, where are you at? And I said, well, I'm over at this spot. And it was, I think the, what do they call themselves? Like the chain gang crew have a place set up and they got like a big blue fence. So there's a picture of us. You might have to like, maybe when you like put this together, you can pop that online or whatever. But yeah. We're like clapping hands over a fence or whatever. And I, for some reason, just turned to everybody and go, D Jackson Stone, everybody. <laughs> and, well, that is my recollection of it. I know like you had like posted some stuff that way too. So I'm, I feel like maybe I was already like saying something that was maybe already put out there, but I was definitely the first person to like just publicly scream it to everybody. And so I felt pretty good about that. I'm, I'm giving you the win here. I'm, I'm totally happy with you uh, being the sole originator <laughs> of that. And I'm also even more excited that it happened in South Dakota, uh, in Brookings, South Dakota, like my favorite city of all time. So yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, we'll chalk it up to all of those good things happening all at once, <laughs> and then boom, there it is. For sure, yeah, great place to be, great people. But it was just fun. It was just my memory, and then I, I remember I was, I was, I every like twice a year, I'd be like, hey, just remember where that name comes from. Like, just remember. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And then you're like, and then I should come on your podcast and talk about strength and conditioning. And here we are. That's exactly what we're going to talk about. That's right, for sure. But, but before we get into that, the meat and bones, uh, I have a very important question to ask you, Seth. Uh, you have a lot going on. You're a father, you know, you're a husband, you're a teacher, life, right? So I think this question is very important. You probably get asked all the time in passing, maybe from your students, maybe from colleagues. Um, and maybe you don't answer it honestly because you don't have time. There's not enough space, um, you're busy, right? But now I wanna give you the time and the space to answer the question. Um, and so Seth, like, how are you doing? Like really, for real, for real? I knew this was the question you're gonna ask. 
um, just from watching your your past episodes. Um, and so honestly, I was probably the most nervous about this question. I was like, geez, like how am I gonna like how are you, how am I supposed to answer right? Like like you said, like you get asked it. Somebody should take a poll. I don't know how many times a day a person gets asked how you doing or how's it going that type of thing, and we usually just do brush it off. We say, oh, it's good. You know, I'm doing good. Or in passing, you know, it's more of like a more of just kind of just the culture, right? Like you just say it in passing, even if you don't get an answer, maybe. Um, so I was kind of like, geez, I don't know how I'm going to answer that question. Uh, most of the time I answer, I feel like I'm fairly optimistic and upbeat. I just tell people, hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Like, how are you doing? Um, I have noticed myself, um, and you're well aware of this, when you're in kind of a, a field of, you know, exercise, strength conditioning, um education where you're, you're teaching people and you understand that you have to build relationships with people that um you kind of turn the question back on them probably before you answer it i feel like i do that a lot you know like i give them the, oh i'm good and then i ask the question back and i generally do um try to talk to them or get to know them or you know prompt an answer much like what you're trying to prompt from me um and so when i was thinking about that i'm like geez like i expect that answer when i talk to other people but I never really truly give you know my answer so how am I doing how am I doing today how, how have I been doing um good it'd be the general overview um the deep into that is life is not easy right life is there's there's areas that you love there's areas that you don't love um and it ebbs and flows and um kind of goes back to sports where if it was you know, easy, everybody would do it type thing. But no, I'm, I'm good. But life, life's a juggle. Life is a, a dance, a delicate dance in balancing, you know, work, um, home life, um, relationships, um, relationships with your spouse, your kids, your colleagues, the people that you serve, you know, so the students that you serve, and you, you try to give the best answer that you can at all times. Uh, but it can, it can be a struggle. It can be hard. Um, and I'm as guilty as, you know, knowing kind of, you know, your path and what your passions are now, I'm as guilty as anybody in saying that I don't reach out, you know, I don't reach out to, you know, really truly express how I'm doing or tell people how I'm doing or, or, um, you know, take a load off. Right. And I know that sometimes carries over into a lot of the things that I do, um, at home or in my job, not in a bad way where, you know, it differs the person that I am or the, the makes my attitude poor or anything, but, you know, I struggle to just get stuff off my chest or explain a situation or explain my side or whatever. But something that I think, you know, and I know you're a big promoter of is, you know, you can't put that wall in front of you and just think, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, if you go back when I was a football player, oh, I'm a football player. Like you can't express how you feel or you can't, you're an athlete. You can't express how you truly feel or what your, what your, you know, motives are or what you're doing or um, those sort of things. I think that wall needs to be removed. And I'm, that's one area that, you know, probably over the last five, six years, I feel like I've been trying to figure out a way to do, which is hard when you identify, you know, early on as an athlete or as somebody that kind of has that mantra of like, Oh, you know, don't express your feelings. So you know, that's one area that I've been working on, especially since I've had kids. I think that's a big, uh, that, that really takes down that barrier. Um, it definitely made me a more sensitive person in a good way. Um, it kind of brought me back to the thought of like, your time is precious. And your time is precious in, in the fact that if you don't express yourself within that time, then you're wasting it, you know, that kind of situation. Um, and it's one of those deals where you don't probably, well, how do I want to say it? You don't understand time as, as much when you're younger, like the essence of time, as you do when you're finally, you know, working or you get married or you have kids or you're, you're living life outside of kind of what you maybe first identified with, whether that's school or football. Um, so that's been interesting. Cause I think about that a lot. It's like there, you just don't have enough time in the day, right? Like you, you, you got time for 
work and your family and, you know, whatever else you're passionate about. And then it's like, man, we're like, if I want to do one more thing, where do I fit that in? Right. And that's really hard. Um, so I've started to, to dwell on that a lot more, more for the fact that um, you just realize the lack of time. And then you realize that if you're not fully present or you're not fully expressing yourself in every situation, then that's um, a waste of your time. And so, yeah, I, so, you know, to give you the short answer, I'm good. Um, to give you that long explanation of where I kind of came to that answer, knowing you were going to ask it, um, you know, it, it's an area that I think uh, myself included, I, I need to express myself more, just how I'm feeling on a daily basis, you know, reach out to friends, you know, I, you're an exception. I try to reach out to you a couple of times a year, you know, to say, how's it going? Or we talk, text, Facebook, whatever it might be, but I don't do that near enough. And I don't reach out to people and just, have that, you know, deep conversation and something I need to do more of for sure. What about those kinds of conversations with your wife? I imagine you guys have those. Yeah. Um, it's, she'd probably tell you that it's hard to get it out of me. Um, but we, we try to, obviously you have to, and to make marriages work. Um, but you know, I nor her, neither of us will, you know, tell you that we're perfect and something I think you got to, continue to work on probably as you go through marriage and as, as your marriage uh, moves forward, continue to, to get better at. And that's what I know I need to get better at for sure. Right. Just to have those conversations and on a deeper level for sure. So you bet. Well, thanks for sharing. That was a lovely, lovely answer. You bet. I did good. Right. I, that was, I spent a lot of time going, Oh boy, how am I going to answer? So no, good. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. So that's all I got prepared. So sounds good. We'll see you on episode 100. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll ask you the same question and we'll go from there. But no, um, yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. I, I think about, I think about time a lot as well. Like, what do I actually have time for? What's, what's a priority for me? Would I rather spend my time doing this or this? Does it line up with my core values? Is it going to lead me towards a higher goal or a higher purpose? Um, all of those things. And then knowing the time that I may not have left with the people that I love also, because all of our loved ones do unfortunately pass away and die. And those relationships come to an end. And you never really know when that's going to happen. And so that's another time variable that you kind of don't want to waste, but it's hard to always think about that because if you're always thinking about that, then you're not in the present moment with the people that you're with. So it kind of has sure. to be this like natural unconscious thing that you're like planted in the ground where your feet are trying to do the best you can in the situation that you have with the time and the people that you have. And so it kind of has to be this like, this like backtrack of, of work that you're doing so that when you do get in these moments that you want to be present, you're not thinking about trying to be present. You're just actually being present. And so that's very complicated. I, I read a book basically kind of describing all of that in a lot of words, but I think sure. about it a lot. I think about my relationships with people and um, yeah. And so that's interesting, interesting comment uh, about all of that. But speaking of your relationship with like your wife and that being you know, probably the most important relationship you have, maybe outside of your kids, of course. Has there anything like specifically that relationship has taught you about yourself that you're proud of that you've learned or that you've grown through? Oh, what have I learned? I mean, you learn stuff every day. Um, I think probably the biggest thing is just balancing your needs, her needs, right? She's a very... Um, outspoken person. I'm a very, you know, not introvert, but I'm, I keep stuff to myself. So I've learned that, you know, to continue to express myself and to continue to, to talk or whatever. Um, I think you learn, you know, uh, a lot of things together as a team, right? Like, I feel like, you know, you learn like, you know, Hey, we're, we make a great team. Um, we make great parents, right? Like you learn, to balance that um, much like you would on a team that you were part of in baseball or football. And so you learn areas of strengths and weaknesses and, you know, how she balances me out, you know, hopefully I balance her out. And so, um, you know, she's kind of the, the dreamer, I guess, if you will, like if we're going to go on you know, like a vacation, like 
she's going to make me go on that vacation, right? Like where I'm going to kind of be like, ah, and I don't, you know, is it worth our time? Is it worth our money or whatever that might be when, you know, deep down, I know it's, you know, getting away or disconnecting from the world for a little bit is going to benefit me, you know, and just um, spending time with her quality time with her and or the kids or both. And then, you know, just getting away from work and getting away from people and just kind of resetting. So we balance each other out that way. Well, and I think you just learn, you know, how to do that better every day. Um, but yeah, um, no, we've, we, my wife is great. I got to give her a shout out. Um, she balances pretty much all of my weaknesses out hundred percent, 110%, um, and makes me a better person for sure. Yeah. I, I, I relate to that in a way because I'm now in a, a very committed, very serious relationship. Um, it's the first one I've been in like that I feel this way ever, right? And so you talk about, I mean, talk to my friends, like close friends who are married, you know, some of them like, Al, he's getting married in, uh, in August. And you're just talking about like, how do you know? Like, how do you know you're in love? How do you know this is the person? And every time I would ask one of my friends that, it would be the same answer. Like, you, you just know. And like, for someone who had never felt that way, I was like, I, that doesn't make sense. Like, you have to know, like, there has to be something. And then yep. I'm like, I found this girl, her name is Rihanna. And one day I just woke up and I was like, oh, okay, I know. Yeah, like, this is it, I guess. <laughs> like, I know. And, yep. and like, just like you said, right? She does this, like, she balances out, you know, my weaknesses. Um, she makes me better. She makes my life better. And you just have this like knowing. And then, and then you're like thinking about like what our relationship could potentially be like in 20, 30, 40 years. And like, wow, how... How much different are we going to be? How much are we going to learn about each other? How much are we going to experience together? Like, that seems so wickedly cool. Also, I mean, very scary. It, it does. Sure. Scary, but, you know, uh, most good things come, you know, despite all of the fear that comes with it. And so, yeah, amazing. Sure. Like, it's just amazing to have, like, someone that you feel like you can always rely on all of the time. For sure. Uh, that's incredible, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah, it has your back at all you know, twists and turns and changes in life. Um, you know, I think for, for us, it just as young parents or just young people in our career field, like there's just a lot of changes that happen, you know, I'm assuming probably all throughout your life, but it just seems like there are early in life just because you change careers. You know, I changed a career and um, she hasn't really changed careers, but she's had some, some switches within her work and then obviously having kids and whatnot. Um, I think that's where you build the most, um trusting one another is just the support through all those changes and whatnot yeah magical man cheers to you guys and cheers to her yeah you too man i'm glad i'm glad to hear that yeah it's it's really incredible um but <clears throat> we'll we'll kind of flip the switch a little bit we'll kind of flip subjects a little bit and sure. talk about kind of uh leading to where you are now from starting with your football career but i really want to know like because i we mesh obviously in the fitness exercise workout like both of that stuff is like wickedly important to us like that's that's been part of my life since i was 15 and it hasn't changed like mm -hmm. i have to get a daily workout in whether it be anything walking running yoga jujitsu crop something to move and honor my body um so when did that become like a really important part of your life? Probably around the same age. Um, I don't know, eighth, eighth, ninth grade. So I don't know, what are you, 12, 13 then? Are you 15 yeah, by ninth grade, I guess? Yeah, seventh grade, you're 13. 13, okay. So probably, you know, end of eighth grade year, freshman year, um, our school, very small, rural South Dakota. Um, our coaches ran a summer strength conditioning program. Um, and at the time you probably, you know, you don't realize, obviously, as I uh, know you don't as an athlete that young, like why or what you're doing it, your parents just sign you up for it. And you know that the football, the head football coach is running it. And so if you want to play football, you better be there. Mm -hmm. um, but I have vivid memory. You know, you don't, I, I fail to like, remember, like people talk about high school sometimes or even college, like with this vivid detail. And I'm like, man, I don't remember 95% of, you know, situations or what happened or just high school college in general i don't know why that is but there are very distinct things that you do remember and i remember very distinctly is what if, whether i was an eighth or ninth grader 
the the first time in the weight room and in the weight room with like older guys that were training. Um, and it probably wasn't the best program. And I, to be honest, I couldn't even remember what we do, but I remember being in the weight room on a hammer jammer <laughs> and, and the seniors like playing, um, 500 miles or I would walk 500 miles, you know, that I can't remember who even sings the song. Um, so that song and, um, Jesse's girl, uh, <laughs> like the nineties or eighties or whatever. So a couple of those songs, and that was very vivid in my memory and must've had an impact because, you know, there shortly after you start taking it more seriously and you continue to lift and you continue to see where that helps and builds your body. Um, you know, probably to be honest, I don't know that I even really saw this the, at the time, the transition of all oh, this is helping me on the field. Um, other than the fact that I was pleasing a coach, mm. if that makes sense. Um, but I enjoyed being in there and I didn't really even know I enjoyed being in there and really didn't have that recollection until, Oh, probably senior year of college when I started to kind of think back, okay, well, you know, I'm getting into strength conditioning. I'm potentially wanting to be a strength conditioning coach at the collegiate level. Like, where did this all start for me? You know, you listen to podcasts and people say, well, you know, it started when I was in sixth grade and the coach like taught me how to, you know, move correctly. And so I was like, well, where did that start for me? And it started probably sophomore year or junior year, one of those two. Um, the football coach was down a coach to help run the program, right? And so he asked if I would come in and help run the younger kids through some of the sprinter agility or whatever some of those workouts were at the time. I can't remember exactly. And so I did that during the summer and I'd just help off and on and then I'd get my lift in. And then my first year back from SDSU, I didn't stay for the summer. Um, I went back home and I literally was paid to open the weight room from 6 to 9 p.m. And then I also helped that summer acceleration camp. And at the time, I didn't know that I wanted to be a strength coach yet. But I was like, man, like, I've loved being in the weight room. I've loved helping, you know, kids move properly. I've loved kind of just being in that sports performance realm, even though I didn't know what it was. Um, and it just kind of stemmed from there, you know. So I don't know that I have like a, a one instance of like, I finally made the realization that this helped me, other than I just... I, that was kind of an escape for me, I guess, if you will. And, mm -hmm. and I loved being in there without really knowing why I loved being there. And then it just kind of kept building into the next thing um, that kind of built into the next thing in my career, I guess. Does that kind of that answer the question? Yeah, I mean, of course. Um, yeah. I, to, to, to follow up on that, um, where that kind of goes from there, um, you know, then I get in the exercise science program. I was initially a uh, HPER, hyper uh, physical education, uh, teacher education, and exercise science. I, I told myself I was going to double major. Oh, really? Uh, well, yeah, for like a semester. And then I quickly found <laughs> out that the hours requirements, that wasn't going to work. Um, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah, man. With, with trying to figure out how to teach and student teach and whatnot. So I had to kind of choose one over the other. Initially, I wanted to be, I thought I was going to just be a high school coach you know, and maybe do some stuff in the weight room. Cause I probably didn't even at the time really know that like strength conditioning coaches were a thing. Like they weren't a thing in my high school. So I didn't really even know that that was a career until I kind of got with coach Mo. Right. Because at South Dakota state, we only had one. Correct. Yeah. And then Eric came on, you know, we had some like, PAs, um, coach Mo. And then Eric was kind of the first, I believe the first time full-time assistant, maybe. Um, him like, and, uh, that's wild to think about that. We had one coach. We have every sport. There's every sport at South Dakota State, and all of them are Division I. <laughs> um, right. And we had one guy who was basically trying to teach people how to lift, run, and exercise properly geared to their specific sport. That's so, like, and then, sure. like, I think it was, like, my, I mean, we had grad assistants, sure, but that's not, a, like, a hired full-time coach. They're, they're doing work. They have school work to do also. They're not full-time. Yep. Um, and then I think it was like my, like I knew Eric my freshman year. And then I think it was like my sophomore, junior year. He was a full-time coach. Yep. Brad, you might've had Brad Schmidt um, as yeah. well too. He was the, so he would have been the first full-time, I think with coach Mo. And then Eric came, might've been the second that they had too. I, I can't speak for sure, but yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. To balance all of that. Um, 
obviously SDSU has come a long way since then, but mm-hmm. just to know that the progress and what coach Mo was able to do with the resources that he had with training, like you said, at that time, I think we've backed off like SDSU doesn't have all the teams that they had back then. Um, uh, they got tennis is no more. Um, trying to think of the other ones, but there's a few less, but the fact that they had, you know, the 20 some varsity sports that you can have at a collegiate level and to do that successfully and be able to help the program get to where it is today is like, it's, it's mind boggling. <laughs> it's mind boggling. Yeah. So coach Mo, he's coach Mo's going to be on this podcast for sure. That dude's a legend. Yeah, he'd be. So to, to let you know, um, he has stepped away from strength conditioning um, and he's working in um, construction management right now too, but I'm sure he would love to come talk about life and, um his career path and stuff too i think it'd be good that'd be a great podcast for sure yeah yeah coach mo shout out um all right so you found coach mo we'll go back to the story quick yeah well so to found coach mo but even to preface before that so understanding that just you know one i was enjoying being in the weight room um not necessarily seeing that it was probably helping my performance although it was i mean i just wasn't you know cognizant to that but then I had some injuries. I tore my ACL. Um, my, well, I had some cartilage as a sophomore and did some rehab. So I was, you know, around some athletic trainers, um, tore my ACL as a senior in high school and, um, was again, working with some athletic trainers. Long story short, get back into football, continue to play. I tear my other ACL, my junior season at SDSU and, um, you know, do the PT, the AT. And then as soon as I can, I was with back with coach Mo, you know, and kind of that return to play or getting ready to, to come back on the field. And I was spending a lot of time with him in the weight room and um, kind of talking about um, exercise science and like what I, what I was in it for, like, why, why are you doing exercise science? What do you want to do with it? And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, like maybe be an AT. And he's like, well, your thought of strength and conditioning. And I was like, is that a career path? Like how did, I didn't even know how to get there. Right. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you get there? Is that a thing? Um, so just with a lot of conversations with him and, and working with him kind of more or less one-on-one through that rehab, um, talked about his route and where he came from as, you know, interning in the field and a graduate assistantship at Texas, um, you know, working his way through the field, um, decided that, yeah, like strength conditioning, um, is what I like to do. Um, obviously I'm injured all the time, so I must like to do it, but no, (laughs) I, and then, so through that conversation and then probably connecting the dots that, Hey, I'd already kind of been somewhat doing that. Mm. Not really knowing that I was doing that, helping out with our high school program, opening the weight room, my first year back um, to get my lift. It was more selfish than anything to get my lift in because I needed the weight room open, but then other kids would come in there um, that were back for the summer or some high school kid. Uh, I don't think any high school kids would come in, but um, a lot of the guys that I graduated with or that were a year or two younger than me would come back and lift. And then some of the community members would come in and lift. I believe it was through our quarterbacks club is, is who promoted it. But so connecting those dots, I was like, geez, I've been doing this already, like in some degree or like had interest in this without knowing. So I might as well at least pursue it. Um, so exercise science, um, undergrad at the end of our under, uh, exercise science undergrad, we needed a 350 hour field experience internship. Um, which I coordinate now, which is kind of cool connecting those dots, but I did that internship with coach Mo, um, absolutely loved it, fell in love with strength conditioning, you know, the whole nerded out on all the information that was fed to me, um, loved programming, although I had no idea how to do it at the time, like thought I knew how to do it. So it was fun to at least, you know, pretend at that time when you're like, oh, like I'm getting all this information, let's put it on paper, let's try it out. Um, and then applied for our graduate assistantship with Coach Mo, and was fortunate enough to get that um, with him and his staff. And then I did my master's degree here in our exercise um, nutrition and food sciences program at SDSU, um, and worked with primarily—I shouldn't say primarily—but my teams that I w- were responsible for was uh, men and women's swim and dive and softball. And then I assisted with all the other coaches. Um, four hours for their team. So football, baseball at the time when you were still playing, um, basketball, didn't do much with track and field, um, a little bit with soccer, 
um, and more or less just being another set of eyes, you know, another, another coach, but then seeing them coaches program and why they programmed their sport the way they did. And then, you know, talking shop and figuring out why they were um, doing certain things with their athletes obviously helps, helps you grow as a coach too. So did that, um, was there two years, um, wanted to, I was trying to get my master's program done in a year and a half. So I, I did a thesis and I did some research on the football team and the amount of muscle that they lose during a season. And if they gain that back, um, in the off season, that's a, that's a whole other conversation to have. But what really, what we found was that they were losing a lot of weight during the season. I shouldn't say a lot, but a considerable amount of weight that is enough to justify the reduction in performance. And they weren't gaining anything above that the next season. So they're basically getting back to baseline or what they were the previous season. So anyway, did my thesis, completed that, um, and defended it in November, and then started teaching a class because I was I still had to finish my graduate assistantship that spring, and then started teaching a strength conditioning course in our master's program or in our undergraduate program as a master's student, and I really love that. And I'll come back around here in a minute, but um, love teaching that. Finished out my graduate assistantship, started applying for some strength um, coach jobs at various um, colleges. Uh, many of which I didn't even get a phone call back or like an interview or whatnot. Some I did, um, you do the interview, um, they don't call you back or you're like, ah, I don't know if this is the right fit. So really nothing that panned out from a, a, a college strength conditioning position, but that was okay. Cause I wanted to finish out, teach, finish graduate, graduate assistant, uh, assistantship, and then reapply when those open up again, either in May or, you know, how that whole system works. But um, in the meantime, um, got into contact with um, a couple guys I know in Sioux Falls who work for the Orthopedic Institute and were starting a facility, um, a performance facility that was in conjunction with the Orthopedic Institute. At the time, it was called D1 Sports Training. Um, it was a franchise from Nashville, Tennessee. And they asked if I wanted to come uh, be a strength coach in the private sector, which again, I really didn't even know was a thing. <laughs> you know, you see, you know, uh, personal training and um, group fit and whatnot, but didn't really know that you could do, you know, essentially strength conditioning as it's setting in the college realm, but for high school students, for some gen pop, um, special populations, but in a facility that much resembles essentially a college weight room and a college strength conditioning program. And so um, really with, without having a job lined up, finishing grad school, um, that opportunity was very intriguing to help some, start something from the ground up. And so decided to move to Sioux Falls. It worked out with my wife, um, who was my girlfriend at the time, shortly after became my fiance, but she was going to nursing school in Sioux Falls. So just kind of all the pieces seemed to fall where they may, um, and then moved to Sioux Falls and um, worked in the private sector for, what would it be? about seven years, I think, um, working with high school athletes, middle school athletes, kids as young as six, um, adults as old as 80, um, general pop. I mean, really anything outside of really anything in strength conditioning, I got the chance to work with, still worked with college athletes that would come back to Sioux Falls from their college during the summer. Um, some professional athletes that had connections to Sioux Falls or Brookings or pro day type stuff. So got to train them for pro days um, or if they were back during different off season type um, training periods or whatnot. And was there till the spring of 2020 and then um, left that position for opportunity in teaching, which as I was kind of progressing through my career, had a love for teaching and I was teaching coaches at the facility I worked at. I was teaching interns and, kind of wanted to take um, a step into that side. And so there was some opportunity in teaching. Well, I, I leave in uh, February of 2020 and then COVID hits. And mm. um, I'm adjuncting a course at that time. Um, and fortunately, um, had an opportunity to come to SDSU full-time that following December. And so I adjuncted some more classes to kind of get my foot in the door a little bit more. And they had a need for an instructor. Um, with a master's level degree to instruct a majority of the undergrad classes for our exercise science program. And so that got me up here. I've been full-time for about a year and a half now, uh, but I've been teaching for, you know, eight-ish years. Um, so I've, I've been developing kind of transitioned into that um, 
because I always kind of had a love and every spring I taught that one course I was like oh I love teaching this class and then you know the more you, people you teach the more people you want to teach how to do stuff the right way and to have them go out and help people do stuff the right way in the fitness or exercise or strength conditioning world so kind of just stemmed from there and and now here I am so now I'm currently um, an instructor at SDSU, and then I coordinate our field experiences. So I help students find, you know, the, the field experience that's going to most benefit them as a student um, with their career paths and their chosen career paths. And then I teach um, primarily our undergraduates, but then I also teach a strength, an advanced strength conditioning course in our graduate program too. So helping people that are in that strength conditioning or fitness exercise science side, learn a little bit more about program design and some of the, the higher level um, attributes to things you need to know to be a successful coach, uh, monitor athletes, those sort of things. So. Beautiful. Okay. Well, we got to, um, we got to flush out like some definitions here. So people know what you're talking about. Yep. Definition number one, most people don't know what a strength and conditioning coach is or what that does. Could you explain? For sure. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of look at it in like tiers and I'm not looking at it in tiers to make one profession seem better than the other. It's just the general flow of your uh, positions within, I'll call it strength conditioning as a whole or fitness as a whole. Um, as a strength conditioning coach, you typically have um, at either like a collegiate level is probably where most people know um, strength conditioning where that strength conditioning coach is going to um, teach their athletes um, how to improve their performance. So lifting weights, resistance training, but it also includes movement specific drills, such as improving sprint mechanics and speed, agility mechanics um, and ability, jumping, power. I mean, um, the list could go on and on really, but essentially they're the point person for developing the programs that then the athletes um, will adhere to during all various parts of their season. So strength conditioning at its essence is essentially teaching people to move, to lift, resistance train, to really benefit their conditioning level from a performance um, standpoint. And so the tier system that I kind of talk about is more how I think about it in my mind. And like I said, it's not that one career is better than the other or that there's a standard, but I kind of look at it as um, if you're looking at the, how you get to these positions, your college strength conditioning coach kind of sits at the top meaning you can go from a college strength conditioning coach and work in a lot of various other fields having been at that level, right? Um, then the next tier is kind of your um, high school strength conditioning slash private fitness, dependent on the setting where you're probably working with high school athletes in a similar fashion, you're improving their performance, you're improving their strength, their power, doing something to improve their uh you know, improve them in their field of play. Um, where I say private is you're still working with, with high school strength conditioning, but it's probably in your own facility or a facility that's, you know, mine was owned by the Orthopedic Institute, which is, is a sports medicine provider in Sioux Falls and um, has a known name for improving sport performance through some of the various ATPT activities that they do. Um, and it's a lot harder if you start there to get back to college strength and conditioning. So that's kind of the tier system. And it's more based off of if you come out of college with that degree and it's a great field and it's a very um, big field and it's, a, it's an improving field. But if you're just to come out as a strength coach in the high school or private setting, you probably haven't gone through the graduate assistantship. You probably haven't gone through the internship to get to a college strength and conditioning coach. So it's a little harder to climb that specific career path ladder. Um, under that, and again, I'm not putting this in, a, I want to highly stress because there's, there's successful careers in all of these. But under that, you can kind of look at like personal training, group fitness, health coaching, wellness coaching, and kind of its own category where it's, it's a little bit harder to just go from having maybe a successful career in that to go to the next job, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, without taking the necessary kind of like academic steps, if that makes sense. Now, some people do it and they're they, they get there just by who they know and what they know and, and those sort of things. Uh, but it's generally harder if you kind of start like at that level. Um, and so they're still all essentially doing the same thing, right? Like you're still, you know, I still, even though I was in the private sector, I still worked with um, men and women of various ages to increase their general fitness um, from cardiovascular training to help somebody lose weight 
to helping somebody lose weight, but also get stronger, right? To helping older individuals increase their activities of daily living, right? If somebody's having trouble going up a flight of stairs and you focus on some lower body strength training activities, ideally you're trying to help them go up that flight of stairs much easier. Or uh, individual that struggles to sit into their car, like things where you can help increase somebody's strength for those daily activities. And that's happening at every level, whether you're college, high school, private, PT, group fitness, wellness coach. Um, I just view that in my mind just because of some of the routes that you have to go if you want, you know, essentially like a strength conditioning job at the collegiate level, you kind of got to start there first. But what you see a lot of is some strength conditioning coaches at the collegiate level will then go into the high school, the private or personal training. And so it's just an easier flow at that degree level, I guess, is probably what I'm getting at to go to those other positions versus from PT wellness coaching back to strength coaching. So. And then when you talk about program design or programming, what does that, what does that specifically mean? For sure. Um, well, it means a lot of different things as you, you know, um, dependent on how you want to design your program, but essentially what you're doing is dependent on the person that you're working with, you're looking at their goals and needs. Um, and so some of the things I teach within our program is you put together a needs analysis. What does this person need? What is their goals? Um, what are they competent at, at a fitness level? Like what can they do, right? What maybe can't they do if they've had injury or if they have some limitations? And then based on those needs, you put together um, a program and it could be of various lengths. So if you're working with a college um, softball program or baseball program, you're going to have some sort of program design 12 months out of the year, meaning you are designing the resistance training, the sprint, the agility, the plyometric work that they're doing for 12 months out of the year. Where that changes a little bit is if you're in the private sector or a personal trainer is some people may be with you for a year. Some people may be with you for 12 weeks. And mm -hmm. so you are designing the, the training that they're going to go through for whatever predetermined amount of time that might be. And so on a more like intricate level, you're designing what they're doing each day. You know, maybe they're going three days a week. So you're designing what those workouts look like three days per week. Let's just say for 12 weeks to improve whatever component it is that they are wanting to improve. So if I came to you and I wanted to, you know, lose 20 pounds, but also wanted to get stronger, there would be components of strength, hypertrophy, meaning that you're building muscle. There would be components of probably cardiovascular and general fitness training, where you're, you're doing more of the um, aerobic um, side to help that person um, lose some of that body fat and that body weight. And so you're putting those days together to best benefit that person um, so that they can train three days a week. And I mean, you could, you could, put that number up to six or seven, depending on your situation. If you're a bodybuilder and you're trying to gain as much muscle as you want, you're going to need to train six days a week. Like that's, mm -hmm. there's just no way around it. Um, and so it's just based off of a person's goals. You're putting together what they are doing within that training session for whatever predetermined amount of time that might be. And so then when you, when you start working with teams, um, that becomes a bit challenging because right there's a there's a specific movement pattern for that sport that you're trying to improve right but you but you can't really make an individualized workout for every single athlete on that team um and so how do, how do you kind of work through that as a strength and conditioning coach for sure yeah and that's that is one of the hardest things because there there's the, one of the big key principles in strength conditioning is the principle of individualization right um, and so obviously if you can have somebody in a one-on-one -on -one, that becomes more specific to their, their needs, but in a large team setting, um, now it kind of turns into, well, what are the common sites of injury for baseball? Mm. You know, what are the specific needs to baseball and where it becomes even more increasingly difficult is you have to go, well, there's different needs for an outfielder than there is a catcher or a pitcher or even an infielder. And so couple of different ways you can go about it. Um, some people are better, better at it than others. Um, some people will tell you that there's no sport specific specificity or individualization, you know, and so they'll um, program a one size fits all. Um, I was lucky enough to learn from people that um, program 
and do it in a very individualized way, but within the team setting. So, um, you know, when you had Eric, you know, he would program, you know, sports or position specific additional exercises, or if you're a pitcher, you're doing this exercise. If you are an infielder or outfielder or whatever that might be, you're going to do this exercise instead. If you're a catcher, you're, you know, you have to do this mobility drill because you're, you're sitting in a compromised position for, you know, X amount of time. And so I think that's one way that you can get as specific as you can for those very difficult times to specify it or to individualize it is make it, you know, here's what we're doing to develop you as an athlete, which is on my, in my mind, yes, there's some sports specificity, but at the end of the day, we're trying to make you a better athlete, right? So we're trying to make you stronger. You know, if you're trying to gain weight, we're going to try to help you gain that weight through muscle. We're trying to make you faster, more explosive, more agile. So you're going to have your meat and bones of what that, of what those components are that everybody has to do. Now there's some variations are to those that, you know, a pitcher might not catch a hand clean because he's putting more stress on a, a throwing limb or a wrist. And then um, where it gets more individualized is through periodization. And I know that's another term you're probably going to want explanation for, but what that looks like is um, you periodize the intensity or the load. So the, the load that you actually lift. So if you're squatting, you know, the load is the hundred pounds or 200 pounds that's on your back you individualize that based on the person's um, records, personal records, their um, testing data, right? So you are going to squat something different at 70% of a one rep max than I would, because we may have different one rep maxes. So that intensity in training and volume in training is what's going to be the biggest individualized um, mm -hmm. component is you're training at the intensity that's appropriate for your relative strength. And so I think that in conjunction with a few of the switches in some of those um, positional aspects, um, you know, and some of the, I guess, go back to the injury thing, you know, doing some of the exercises that are going to help reduce, I never want to say prevent, but reduce injury in baseball are going to be what's individualized per your position specific to your sport, but then develop you as an athlete. Yeah, because you're going to, you're going to have your, like your core lifts that have been proven to work throughout time, right? Yep. Uh, hinge, squat, deadlift, right? Those movements have been sure. proven to literally make every person better, no matter what you're doing. Um, because every person has to get up and down off the ground, has to bend over, have to pick stuff up. And now, of course, you're looking in an athlete space. They have to do it with a little more intensity, a little bit more often. And so those core, lit, those core lists, whatever they be, however they're modified for that specific sport, are always going to be there. And then what you're saying is as you get into those accessory lifts, you can start to kind of dial in on the specific movement patterns or overhead stuff or rotational sure. stuff of whatever that person or sport um, has for them. For sure. Yeah. You just get more um, specific to the movements that are going to best replicate for sure. hundred percent. And then one of the most important parts, I think of the programming for a strength and conditioning coach is the warm up. Would you say? For sure. Yeah. Um, you have to prep the body um, for it to perform at its max. And you do that through, you know, increased blood flow, increased muscular temperature, but where you can also benefit from the warm up is kind of the stuff that you do as far as your like preventative or prehab as, as it's often called, right? So like a lot of those, you're almost kind of mimicking some of the accessories at a very um, low intensity to help give some more volume to protecting the overhead ability, right? Or to do some more of the pull, upper body pulling exercises. Um, so you can kind of focus a little bit more of your time in prepping the body, reducing injury through some of the, the motions you may, may need a little more volume on. Um, but then a big component of it too is just the mental aspect of prepping the athlete for what they're going to be doing is another big part of it as well too. And, and understanding that, you know, like, Hey, you're essentially getting your body ready to, you know, work out at a maximal level, although you might not always be working at a maximal level, right? Like you're not always doing a one rep max, like whatever the focus is for that day, you can attack it with a 
a maximal effort. So if you're going for a lot of reps, right, then you can attack it because you're warm, you got the blood flowing. Um, and if you're going for a one rep max, you've had the proper warm up to where your body, you know, can account for that increased load. So I think from all spectrums, warm ups are super important. Cool downs are just as important or making sure that you're taking care of your body outside of the, the resistance training or the, the lift per se in areas that you may need more, you know, that static stretching once the workout's done. Um, the big component, and I know, I know you know this, but for people that don't is your warmups should never be static in nature, right? Like the static stretching hold for two, three minutes or whatever, that should be your cool down or should be in, in portions outside of your workout where, you know, you need hamstring flexibility and you know, you need hip flexibility. So cooling down and bringing the body back to equilibrium, but then doing some of those more specific flexibility um, movements are going to one help you increase range of motion. You increase range of motion. You can increase strength. You can increase strength in that range of motion. You're going to help reduce injury because you're strong throughout a full range of motion. So exactly. Yeah. And so to recap, right, you want to have this, dynamic warm-up, right? Where you're moving your body, you're getting your blood flowing. There's a little bit of sweat going. It's not too intense. You're kind of prepping the body for movements you might be doing in the lift or that you do in your sport, whether that be basketball players learning how to land properly or whatever it may be. Baseball players getting their rotator cuffs loose and um, sure. internal rotators, external rotators, all of that stuff. And then you get into your actual lift where you're listing with intensity, whatever the rep range might be and whatever the program is there. And then at the end, you want to have a cool down. And that's where kind of you're sitting in these positions for a little bit longer, whether that be a pigeon stretch, you know, touching your toes, um, all of these things, you're sitting in a little bit deeper so you can cool down and then not just go straight into something else. Um, like what, sure. whatever you're, you know, whatever you're doing, getting into your car, driving home for 45 minutes or, you know, going to study if you happen to be in school. But, you know, there's variables to everything. And sometimes we don't have time for all of that. But in the perfect sure. world, in the perfect situation, if you have that time to do that and then potentially doing some foam rolling and some stretching outside of that and all of that stuff and heat and uh, all that, you know, and ice baths, sure. all those things like play a part. Of course, if you listen to Andrew Huberman's podcast, he talks about it all the time, but yeah, that was a quick recap of that. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those deals. You only have so much time sometimes with certain people. Um, and, and the more you can do on your own or teach somebody to do that on their own or outside, the more it's going to be, you know, the, performance increases or the general fit increases that you're doing during your workouts. So for sure. And the beautiful thing that I found about exercise is that when you do actually stick to it, you can see tangible results like pretty quickly, you know? Um, and so that's why it's really important. Like I, I do a lot of work in mental health, as you know, and that's an invisible field. It's, it's what makes it really scary but also it makes it so important to be proactive about it. And the mind and the body are interconnected. They're interlocked. They're, they're, you know, they're joined together. And so when we do take care of our physical fitness and we start seeing these things that we can do more, we have more energy, uh, we can play with our kids more, or we just look better, we feel better, that in turn helps our mental health. And so because this mental health thing is so invisible, it's nice to see physical health be like this tangible thing that I can feel and see and people mm -hmm. notice. And that's like, I don't know, I, I've always felt like that's a really important part of it. For sure. They're intertwined. Um, there's a huge realm. It's like you said, it's uncovered. Um, and even in, you know, coaching or strength conditioning or exercise science, like we talk about it a little bit, but behavior change, right? Like talk about behavior change and knowing that you need to make a change to start that change. But like you mentioned, it's so intertwined that, you know, oftentimes people make the most change once they've been consistent in their, at least what I've seen in their physical health. Right. And they see that oh, it makes you feel better. Right. Like if you get your workout or run or whatever you're doing in at 6am, you just feel great throughout the day. Right. Or um, if you, you know, like, like me, sometimes I'll work out, you know, late in the evening and it's, it's a great, time to relieve some stress right like the weights, right. Don't, care. weights don't care you beat them up a little bit you know so, <laughs> but the the big part of that behavior change topic is a topic that's discussed a little bit and in the coaching world is under is not um 
is understood that it's there, but it's not understood fully and how that all ties together. And that's one area that some of the classes that I teach, we, I try to interject is that that behavior change is the big component on, you know, a person's why or what, you know, helps them feel better about themselves or what's going to help them have the autonomy to continue working um, out or how working out is benefiting their mental health. And the biggest thing, consistency is the biggest thing in, in probably both those realms. And I don't know enough on the mental side to speak into it a whole, whole lot, but consistency in your physical fitness is the only principle. Honestly, mm-hmm. if you really sit down and think about it, you don't need to always lift six, seven days a week. As long as you're consistent, you will at least maintain. And then there's going to be parts where you're going to get a little bit more involved. I'm speaking probably more from like a general fitness, not even in athletics anymore, because you have to work out whatever the strength coach tells you per week, right? But from a consistency standpoint in general fitness, in life that I've kind of experienced, and I, you know, anymore with as busy as it gets, you know, if I get three workouts in a week, like lifts in a week, I'm feeling pretty good about it. But I usually can always get two. And then on weeks where I'm really busy, if I've gotten one, but I've never not had a week go by where I at least haven't gotten two, one or two. And then all of a sudden you, it's like, well, I may have lost some here or there, but you get it back and you get it back very quickly, but you maintain, right? And you maintain not only your physical health, but your mental health too, through however that benefits, benefits you. So. Yeah. It's, it's simply that feelings follow behavior and sure. you want to be able to stick to your protocols, whatever they be, whatever your habits, whatever your mental health toolkit or your physical toolkit is, you want to be able to stick to those protocols when you feel your worst so that you know that you can fall on these things when you don't start to feel great. And you're like, okay, I know I have this, this, and this, and this, and this I can do that I know will make me feel better. Even though I don't feel like doing it right now, it will make me feel better in the long run. So I kind of have to force myself to do it. For sure. And Little do you know that feelings follow behavior and now you've started this little, you've got momentum going, you've got momentum going, now you're moving in the right direction and boom, there you go. So that's what I think. For sure. No, you hit it on the head. But it is a little bit past 2.30 and you do have to go. I got, if you have one, I got time for one more question. If you got another question for me. Oh, I got, I got the final question, Seth. Okay. I got it. Oh, I wasn't prepared. There was a final question. Yes. I stole it. I stole it from one of my favorite podcasters. If you listen to him, his name's Tim Ferriss. He's got an amazing podcast. He doesn't need, he doesn't need my promotion. He's got a million listeners, <laughs> but uh, anyways, he asked this question to all of his guests at the end. And I think it's a really powerful question. So I'm going to ask you, Seth, if you could put a billboard up in the middle of Sioux Falls and everyone who drove by it would see it. So we'll say millions of people throughout the year, right? Um, what would you put on that billboard? Ooh. Hmm. But to be honest, the first thing that came to mind without thinking about this too long and keeping a weird, awkward silence here is probably be kind. I put as simple as that sounds, I'd put literally, I'd, if I could have the biggest one in Sioux Falls, Bryce Lights, I'd literally would put two words, be kind. And I think... You know, I'm not a big social media guy. I mean, I don't, I rarely post and, you know, that sort of thing. But from, you know, knowing people that, you know, are on social media and where, you know, you hear some people talk about how that's kind of escalated, you know, people can sit behind a screen and not be kind and whatnot. And just the general state of where I think a lot of people understand where um, we're at in society is just be kind to people, mm-hmm. um, be kind to people understand that they also have um you know their own lives to live and their own situations that they're going through that look much like what we all have and just be kind i love it i mean i think everyone who listens to this podcast knows that my billboard would be three words it'd be you are loved so uh be kind there we go got the wrist on my wrist my man so be kind is a is a beautiful one and it's true, right? We, everyone, from my experience working with people, everyone has something going on that nobody knows about. Everyone is just trying to figure it out and everyone is just trying to do the best they can. If you can hold those three things in the back of your head when you're just 
going about your life, there's no way that you won't be just a little bit kinder to someone's situation. And so I think that's a beautiful billboard. And I think, sure. that's, I think that's the perfect place to stop for now. So the one last thing I'll say on that, and, and this was kind of maybe a challenge for everybody listening, but with the be, the you are loved and the be kind, the whole, that whole side of it, right? Like I can almost guarantee you, and I do this a lot and I kind of like, you step back and like, oh man, like, okay, I do feel better. If you're ever having a bad day, right? Or you're ever just like, you're not in a good mood or whatever that situation might be, do something kind for somebody else. And I guarantee you, it will turn your day around. Like as little as like literally opening up a door for somebody and they kind of give you a smile like, oh geez, like that person, you know, helped me out when they didn't have to, or like whatever it is, as little as it is, I will almost guarantee hundred percent it will turn your day around for sure. And that's how I try to try to live. Absolutely. 100%. And those little kind things that we do for people, sometimes we have no idea how big the impact was, but we do it because that makes the world a better place. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So 100% for sure. Well, thank you, Seth. I appreciate you coming on. We need, we need to do another one. So when I get to like episode 200, you, you can come back on. <laughs> All right, I'll do that. Yeah, we can get a little deeper into, I feel like some of the strength stuff we kind of moved through quick, but I'll, I would love to do that. Um, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, man. I love, like, like I said, I love love what you're doing. And we got, t I was going to wear the t-shirt. I forgot the t-shirt, but we got t-shirts and it's a big, I think what you're doing is making a big impact. Um, and so thank you. Yeah, thanks. That means a lot to me. It really does. So, uh, yeah, we'll get you back on. This is episode 97 with my friend Seth Daughters. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Share this with a friend. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And just come back every Tuesday because I really appreciate you guys for this podcast. It's a great deal for me. We're getting close to episode 100. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, see you next time. Cheers.